everybody. Welcome back to another edition of our Southridge member podcast that we call Finding Our Way. Uh, excited today uh, to be able to sit down with our Welland Location Pastor, Michael Minema. Mike, say hi to everybody. Um, you, relative to a lot of the staff that we have around here, are uh, relatively new. So uh, for those of us who don't know you or aren't from Welland, uh, just give us a little bit of a background of your kind of family history and, and uh, you know, where you've lived, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, I am, I've been here about two and a half years. And before that, I had a career in uh, Christian education, 15 years or so. Uh, as a teacher, vice principal, principal, and uh, this is the best job I've ever had, so I'm grateful for that. And married, uh, beautiful wife, Marcella, two wonderful kids, Liam and Nika, and Liam's 11, Nika's 9, and uh, they're my pride and joy. And you mentioned, you know, being on staff for about two and a half years, uh, can you give us the kind of hiring narrative? How did you hear about this, end up in this role. Talk about all that for us. Yeah. So, um, when I was a principal, I had, uh, chances to preach and that was kind of unique. Uh, but I started to feel a real call to ministry, uh, church ministry specifically. And, um, so at some point I decided to, uh, stop being a principal and I started seminary at uh, McMaster Divinity. And, uh, that, still is in progress because uh, we ended up having some health issues in our family that we had to deal with. So uh, two different friends at different times uh, had mentioned this position that uh, that there was a, a, a position at Welland in, for Southridge and looking for a location pastor. And hearing that from two different resources, I thought I better pay attention to this and uh, went through the grueling process to become uh, on staff here. It was actually very nice. We should do a podcast on that. We should. (laughs) The hiring process. Absolutely. Uh, And for me, I really felt like in that I was interviewing Southridge as much as Southridge was interviewing me, which I absolutely loved. For sure. And it came to the point that uh, I had been applying to other churches as well, but really felt the call that uh, if Southridge were to uh, extend the position, I would take it over, you know, not moving and things like that. I just felt so drawn to what, what was happening here. It, it's interesting just to make one comment on that hiring process. We, we have framed it, um, in case people wonder, we have framed it as a journey of reciprocal discernment around ministry fit. So the process is designed for a candidate to discern their fit as much as we as the organization are discerning a prospective hire's fit. And so well, I've never had homework before in, a, <laughs> in an assignment where I was told start interviewing people uh, about this position and about the church and, and see if what we're telling you in an interviewing process is actually true. Yeah. You interview us and interview our people about, about the job as well. That's, Loved it. that's cool. Um, hey, uh, you mentioned just as a, a kind of a phrase, health issues. But I think it's pretty core to the way God works, not only in, but through you and Marcella as a couple these days. It's quite powerful and and, uh, really has been awesome to see. Can you talk just a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So about four and a half years ago, uh, we were having a great summer as a family and uh, Marcella one afternoon dropped to the couch and thought she was having a heart attack and uh, 
was being stubborn and not going to the hospital, but I finally was able to get her to go and we discovered that she had cancer. And so uh, she ended up moving into a huge surgery and uh, chemotherapy, radiation. Um, and for a little bit, things were looking okay. But three years ago, uh, we got news that she was very sick and we were told she had about six months to live. However, uh, God, in his wisdom and mercy, allowed us to get connected to Princess Margaret Hospital, uh, where uh, he used that place and the doctors there to save her life. So we've, we've gone through immunotherapy treatment, which um, basically has reprogrammed her immune system to fight cancer, and it's working. She's had 60-plus percent reduction in tumors, and uh, she's thriving. And we were told four and a half years ago uh, 2% will live five years on this, on this type of cancer. And yet now they're talking like, oh, well, for this many years, we'll do, uh, treatment or uh, scans every three months. And then after that, we'll do every six months. And after 10 years, we'll do once a year. So they're talking like decades now, which yeah, is yeah, which so is awesome. For the last two and a half years, uh, you know, for our staff, that's kind of rallied around this from a, a, a prayer support perspective it's been kind of celebration after oh. celebration after praise god um but I, I would say at the same time it's been a great testimony for the two of you in the way that you've been able to navigate ministry life and the spiritual parenting role that you're in while navigating your own challenges i mean you're you're a provider of care for so many others but uh actually living it and journeying and, and, and seeing God's faithfulness at a daily level in, in that regard. It's been awesome to watch. It's not lost on me that like the first few pastoral care visits that, uh, that I participated in as the new Welland location pastor were cancer journeys and to be able to sit there and say, I get it. And this is what we did. And this is how we have moved forward. And this is how the church supported us. Let us support you. And it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, hey, can you tell us a little bit about the job from your perspective? We've had some other location pastors as part of the podcast and everyone kind of has their own version of describing what this animal is to be a, a location pastor here at Southridge. How would you want our members to understand your role? Yeah, it, it's really, um, I mean, you can divide it in all kinds of ways if you look at the job description, but really there's a couple of points that, that sort of are what I see as being big aspects of the job. One is uh, groups life and connection and making sure that people find a place to belong and a place where they can be real. Um, and so really helping facilitate that and, and life group leaders and supporting them and coaching there. Uh, and then the other part is, uh, you know, working with a well and staff and together seeing how can we make sure that we're meeting the needs of, of the congregation. So there's a lot of, for me, there's a lot of, um, pastoral care, but even that as we're growing, uh, we're looking at how can that be done in new ways that will help us uh, be able to to accommodate the the growth that we've been experiencing. So, um, yeah, a big part of my job is is pastoral care and and just the overall health and wellness of our location uh, falls on me with the supports of our central system here, where I'm not on my own. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good description. The the connection champion, you know, as part of our central supports in the connection department, but also as the location pastor leading this location specific team specifically for Welland. Yeah. So, you know, championing that connection and the, the overall location. That's a that's a great summary of the role. Um, getting into the conversation specifically of Welland, th- this has really been an exciting year for yeah. our Welland location, culminating in this move to a permanent facility. Before we start talking about what's going on there today, can you, Mike, share for all of our members this story of how we first even discovered the availability of this facility? Uh, So coming on staff, um, uh, one of the things in my interviewing of the congregation where I was asked, hey, check out, a lot of people were asking, will we ever find a building? Uh, Without me initiating those conversations, my first meetings with people were, people were always asking, hey, do you think we'll ever get a building? Do you think we'll ever get a building? Um, So, uh, you know, I let the team here know, I'm going to be praying about that. And I did prayer walks around Welland and asking God, is this something you want for us? And increasingly, I felt like he was saying, yes, I do. So then my prayer was, show us the building. Uh, People would recommend things like uh, a factory's closing down, or there's a shop in in uh, downtown Welland that that might be able to be a little ministry center and schools. Yeah, <laughs> we're good at schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So looking at those kinds of things, what's out there? What what could be available? And I just kept praying, God, show us the building. Uh, so I had started part time um, because I had started in September, and we weren't. Our house wasn't sold yet in Woodstock, and we had a lot of things to to work through. Uh, So I started half-time here, and I stayed with my in-laws in in St. Catharines, and then half of the week I would go to to Woodstock and finish renovating our house. Uh, Once that was done, Marcella said, you got to find us a house now. We need to to get ourselves prepped to to move the family. So I would look for houses. But one time, uh, I had this feeling... I should look for former institutional buildings. So I did a Google search and way down at the bottom, there was this little uh, page that had the Riverstone building listed. And and so I looked at that and thought, wow, that, that could be something. Uh, so I printed the page off, which is something I never do. Uh, but I did print it yeah, off. In an electronic world, you, you would never think never. to actually print something off. So nope. that's relevant to this story, folks. Yeah. So I printed it off. And then uh, when I was done work that, that day, I drove to the building and just sat in the parking lot and prayed, like, is this the one you want us to have? Because this is quite something. Uh, so the next day I went back and, um, and brought this page and said, you got to check this out. Like, look at this thing. And uh, Ben at the time was was working uh, with me as my supervisor, and he was like, wow, let's look this thing up. Well, we couldn't find the website. We typed it in exactly as it was, and it wasn't there online. So he said, hey, you know what? This real estate agent, I know him. Uh, went to high school with him or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, a friend of ours named Greg. Yeah, and so um, he said, let's just call him. Well, we called, and he says, how do you know about this? And well, one of our pastors saw this online yesterday and, and he printed it off. And the guy says, it's not even listed yet. Like this isn't an MLS listing yet. I'm still working with showing them. I put that thing online yesterday for about 20 minutes to be able to show the previous owner what it could look like if we if we list and put this thing online. 
so to me, that was God saying, yes, this is... Yeah, yeah. In the 20 minutes that this real estate agent had temporarily put a draft listing online just to show the owner and prospective seller what the listing looked like, you happened to be scrolling for home listings and gave it a shot to look at prospective church buildings out and of a found feeling, it. Out of a feeling yeah. of, I got to look for former institutional buildings. And this one was in that it was uh, it was a Lions Club initially. Yeah. And so there it was. And, uh, you know, we ended up uh, having all kinds of people look through it. It never went on the MLS. We never competed with anyone. The, the owners, uh, previous owners were incredibly generous in the midst of it all. And uh, to me, that was just God forming a path for us to move forward with this and yeah. to answer the prayer, yes, I want you to have a building and here's the one I want for you. Yeah. yeah. For those of us from locations other than Welland who uh, have our own God stories for how we ended up as communities in these particular buildings or uh, as these particular uh, church locations of Southridge, the, the God story of Welland is is pretty cool, especially around getting this building and something we've been celebrating in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, just one more comment on that, Mike, because so much of what we invite people into in our way, this is about finding our way, uh, is about a lifestyle a lifestyle of full devotion to Christ, a lifestyle of inspiration, connection, action, a lifestyle that's just loving God and loving others. And uh, so why is a building so important? In a, in, a, in a church whose vision of faith and faith in community isn't brick and mortar centric, why would we make such a big deal about a building? I guess what I found so interesting uh, was as you're getting a haircut and people ask, oh, what are you doing? What, are you off work today? What do you do for a living? I would say, oh, I'm a pastor at Southridge. Oh, it would be so great if you guys would come to Welland. I'm like, we've been here for seven years at the time. And and people would comment like that, like they knew of Southridge here in St. Catharines. But if you didn't drive by the wellness center on a Sunday morning and see some flags up that would say Southridge, uh there was no there was no day-to-day kind of presence. And what people often would say to me was people who did know that we were in Welland, uh, their understanding and belief was that uh, we came from St. Catharines on a Sunday, ran a church for a few hours on Sunday morning, and then returned back to St. Catharines, not knowing that, the, you know, staff members are living in Welland and uh, we're, we're, we've been running a location there for years, first out of Centennial and then the Wellness Center. And so uh, having that presence has has unbelievably made a huge difference and you wouldn't think so because we want to we we really do believe that we are the church not the building but the people of God are the church and yet having a space where people can drive by and see something happening or to understand that is Southridge and to know uh, that there are things that that can now happen because we have a building has really made a difference in the last year, um, which has also led to growth, which is, has been incredibly exciting. Yeah, super exciting. So you know, I hope people are picking up the, the, the dual benefits that Mike's talking about. On the one hand, the, the, the presence that you become in a community with a, a permanent fixed place 
and then the presence you can be for that community because of the home base that you now have. And that, that's really what I want to talk about today as we talk about just engagement in the Welland community as a church, Mike, is uh, for starters, the, the, the conversation about our anchor cause. Um, when we first were thinking about becoming a multi-site church and originally launching our first site in Welland, I remember the public meetings uh, that we had, the, the, the first and most pervasive question in every one of those meetings by Welland and Pelham and Font Hill type of folks who might be part of this location, they kept asking, hey, what's going to be the shelter equivalent at that location? What's going to be the shelter equivalent? And what they meant was, you know, in St. Catharines, our whole understanding of what it means to be the church has now become so missional and so focused around the difference that we're seeking to make in that part of the community. We want that DNA to propagate in other sites. And it, it was where God kind of coined the phrase among us of an anchor cause, that our Southridge locations are more defined by our anchor cause and the difference we're trying to make in that part of the community than the address where we gather for an hour or two on Sundays type of thing. And, uh, and so we want to spend some time talking about our anchor cause in Welland. Now, before we do that, though, uh, I know that even in the last round of kind of relocating into this new facility, uh, there was another round of discernment with you know, other ministries and political officials and, and you know, the regional government, things like that, uh, around the community needs. As part of that, Mike, just give us a bit of a, a picture for what you would have learned as the location pastor about the needs in the community of Welland. Yeah, so uh, in my interviewing to, to get this job, uh, after connecting with people, you had asked me in my interview with you, what are the top two things that you would see that this Welland congregation needs to address? And my first one was, I'm hearing people are interested in a building. That was true. The other one was, I think we need to come up with some sort of clarity on the anchor cause because there's a lot of confusion. So uh, a lot of people believed the anchor cause was Rose City Kids. Uh, On paper, it would be um, soul support families. On the website, it was saying at-risk kids. And so there was a a lot that we knew uh, was able to be how we did ministry uh, for our anchor cause. And the heart of that was uh, we need to make a difference in the lives of people who need to know Jesus and how that manifested itself was was mostly through Rose City Kids, which is a ministry we still are partnering with and are still so excited about uh, directing people to who have a passion to to, uh, help kids know Jesus. Um, But I started to ask immediately for every at-risk kid, isn't there an at-risk family that we also need to address and work with and and find? And so as we were, uh, we got some new staff. I was one of them. Uh, Nate Dirks joined in terms of the Anchor Cause director, pastor, action pastor. Uh, in terms of well and specific, you know, Dee Newman joined. And so we had some new people and that, that kind of created a, an opportunity to have a new look as well, to have some people say, um, what are the needs and what can we do about this to make a difference? And so um, what we really were discovering was 
uh, a few things, like just the more people we talked to, the more we learned about low-income families that had kids who were going to Rose City Kids, but also didn't. And we found that uh, things like housing was a problem and, and uh, food was a problem. They didn't have money for both food and rent. And so uh, so D really was able to do a lot of work for us in terms of uh, connecting with other ministry groups, um, finding out even from the mayor that that a lot of these groups are running like silos and that uh, we, we need to learn from each other and do more together. And so um, out of that, you know, we, we came to see that the anchor cause towards low-income families can still have us partnering with Rose City Kids and putting our volunteers who want to work with kids specifically um, working in that way. But it also gave us some new opportunities to make use of this incredible kitchen that came with the building uh, in order to try to, you know, meet some new needs for, for the greater community. And yeah, we have a couple of exciting programs and we have dreams for future things too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just to summarize this, because I appreciate you kind of walking us through the, the full thinking of this, there there has been some confusion, and maybe even if you're not from Welland, in your own location, there's confusion about some of these words, you know, community need versus anchor cause versus our core program. Those are all different terms. And so for starters, I would say, as this new group of leaders for Welland started to build some bridges and and, and engage some conversation, uh, just trying to discover the community need. What would you have said is the primary community need in Welland when they when they reported that back to you? What did we learn? We, I mean, we learned that housing is a massive problem. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know the finances. If you look at at you know. Uh, real estate in the area and how Niagara just keeps going up and up and up. Um, Rent keeps going up too. And it's really a landlord's market in that there's so few places that they get to have uh, their pick of who's going to find places. And so uh, a lot of people are finding that they have very little options and what they do get is expensive. And so uh, in the immediate, we looked at what could that look like for us to help um, make a difference for for people who are finding that this is their this is their issue in life that they're really really struggling with, and so uh, you know a couple of options came available in the Harvest Kitchen and trying to make connection there, and then um, the Collective Kitchen and and what that can be, and we'll talk about that I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, just to interject there, the 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 first kind of logic brick that got built into this thinking was this awareness that the most pervasive community need is affordable housing. That's right. Right. And and everything related to uh, a low-income family navigating the challenges of low-income housing. Now, in the bigger picture, that could open up all kinds of conversation and dreams with our well and property yeah. to more directly serve that need of low-income housing by potentially even constructing some accommodations or things like that one day. But the the thinking shifted from awareness of that need to how we as a church could contribute to it. And instead of just automatically trying to construct housing, I think the conversation then evolved into how can we support low-income families in the pressure that low-income housing 
uh, provides them and really try to alleviate some pressure by supporting them on the food side. That's right. Right? Is is really the, the thinking. And so in a community need of low-income housing, defined by an anchor cause that is serving low-income families as more generic than just the kids yep. uh, formerly, now we're moving into some core programming that is focusing all around food dynamics. And, and you know, talk about how those thoughts even birthed in your research. Yeah, so I mean, what, what we would see is that literally people were telling us they had money for rent or they had money for food, but often not both. And so they were trying to make use of uh, dinners that were offered around town from different uh, agencies and organizations or churches, whatever it may be. And they were making use of food banks. Um, But we were also hearing like that what people ate was also not awesome. And so because they had to stretch the buck that, you know, craft dinner, which, you know, I don't mind every once in a while. Uh, but if it's, you know, if it's a regular staple, that's not good for you and it's not good for kids. And so we were trying to see how can we not only make a difference for people financially by providing, but also in education and understanding that there's healthy cooking and that there's uh, ways to to do this that is going to be, you know, beneficial not just financially. So, um, and there's community that can be built surrounding all of this where people can not only, you know, meet the need of the food, but they can also find a place where they can belong and they can make connections and they can build relationships. And uh, which is a very important point because when it comes to making the shift from awareness of a community need and the clarity around an anchor cause or a focus on how we're going to try to meet that need the development of core programming does need to have with it a a bit of a dynamic where it can serve not just to meet that need directly, but also be a playground for relationship and and include our people en masse to be able to to foster these friendships that make a difference. That's that's important. Because that's not just for the people who are what we might say are are low-income families. That's important for our congregation as well to actually live out this life of full devotion by making these unlikely friendships and realizing that uh, there are two-way relationships that are possible in people that you might normally not spend time with, but you could be totally blessed by. And you could actually live out what we're teaching at church to extend the love of Jesus and receive it right back from from people who are going to make a difference in your life. Yeah, so bottom line, um, through Nate and Dee and yourself and others, uh, you guys kind of discovered and landed on these two models or these two programs that we're currently experimenting with. Can you describe those two for us? Yeah. So the first one uh, came from, I meet with the ministerial uh, fairly regularly in the Welland area. So groups of pastors that get together. Uh, And I also was working towards getting my, um, joining kind of the chaplaincy program through the local hospitals. And so out of that, I met Bob Bond, who is uh, the chaplain at the Welland Hospital. And over coffee, we were chatting about, you know, other ways we're getting involved in making a difference in Welland. And he told me about the Harvest Kitchen. And so the Harvest Kitchen has been running, it's in its 16th year now. And it came out of, um, uh, you know, the, the 
Hope House at the time was running a shelter uh, for people to get off the street in Welland. Um, but what they couldn't handle was uh, a place to stay and all of these meals. And so churches, mostly in the area, started to pick up a night where, you know, St. Kevin's is running dinners on whatever it is, Tuesday yeah, nights. Yeah. Uh, and, and even not just that, like a, a cooking school takes a night and there's a family that all the brothers and sisters and in-laws and kids and everybody runs a night where they're running these things. So, uh, I had asked, are there any nights where there's no meals? And he said that, uh, at the time there were five uh, Thursday nights where they didn't have meals, uh, covered. And so one a month was what, what it started out as. And we didn't have the building ready to go yet at the time. So we uh, met and met with a group of people and uh, decided, let's take those on. And we actually ran, I think, four out of five of them out of the Hope Center uh, on King Street because our building wasn't renovated and ready to go and approved uh, for health and safety and all that kind of stuff. But it gave us a sense of uh, the impact it can be for getting our life groups involved in serving and and making a difference and making connections. Um, so this year, now that our building is all set and the kitchen's approved, uh, we're doing three out of four weeks uh, per month. And still on Thursdays. We're doing one Thursday and two Fridays. Okay. And then um and, and we also did some things like over the summer where the Harvest Kitchen only runs from November to March, but we said, let's do some barbecues to get people out. And, and, you know, just because it's not cold, there still is a need for meals. And so even looking forward, we're running the Harvest Kitchen right now in the November to March. Um, but we're also looking at why don't we just continue or, uh, you know, People have needs financially over winter months when it's a little, maybe a little more expensive and the, the heating bill is that much more. Um, but we're seeing the need continues all year long and the opportunity for people to serve and be connected and have community is always there. And so we're even looking now at what what does this look like once March comes? Yeah, and for those of us who, especially from our St. Catharines location, you know, we're familiar with the, the evolution of the shelter where we were a Sunday night site for a homeless ministry called Out of the Cold, yep. uh, and then kind of graduated into doing that over the summer months when Out of the Cold wasn't being offered, and, uh, and then eventually you know became this shelter full time. In a lot of ways, it feels like the Harvest Kitchen is evolving us into uh, an agency like a shelter without the sheltering, right? right? From the food perspective, providing these healthy, nutritious meals uh, to people who need them and have to make that choice between food or rent. Yeah, and we're calling that Southridge Kitchen. We've got a nice logo. I heard we just got some aprons ordered and that kind of thing for our volunteers to use when they're there. And, and uh, you know, as this grows, people will become more aware of what opportunities are available on both ends to receive the help and to be able to be a volunteer. That's great. Now, as cool as that is, this Harvest Kitchen or Southridge Kitchen, 
There's this, there's a second program similarly leveraging the capacity to serve through meeting the need of food uh, called the collective kitchen. And this to me is even cooler than the first one. Describe this for us, Mike. It is. So um, Dee was doing some investigating. Dee Newman was looking at what, what's out there, what models can we learn from? And there was a church in the London area that was doing something of a collective kitchen where uh, they were able to hand over some things to us and some menus and um, some of their programming, how to make this work, what kind of volunteer numbers you have. So what we have now, right now we have once a month, we're running the collective kitchen. And I took part in it this past Thursday just to experience it. I, I was able to move some things around and said, you know what, I want to see it in action and I want to be a part of it. So um, so I spent the, the morning with the collective kitchen crew. And what we can handle is uh, about 10 clients who would come in and pay $25 each uh, to take part in the the collective kitchen program. And that just goes towards groceries. Um, And then we have about 10 volunteers. We're trying to have one-to-one availability in terms of a volunteer to a client. And, um, And then you prepare all kinds of food uh, like we did soup and we did, uh, pasta and my, my job was, uh, a ranch chicken, which turned out pretty good. (laughs) And, uh, we did, um, muffins and quiche and all these different kinds of things. For how long? So, so you, it goes from about nine to noon. Uh, and then at noon we had, uh, lunch together and everyone uh, gathered around tables and uh, just more connection time of everyone just enjoying a meal. But then what happens afterwards is the cleanups taking place and then all the food that's created gets divided up to the clients. And so for $25, they go home with 25 portions. And for me, uh, you know, if you have a family, that, that might feed your family for a week. There was a lady there who said to me, this will feed me for a month. And for $25, for $25 for yeah. $25 that she can go home and have food in the freezer and it's not just craft dinner, it's healthy burritos, there was all kinds of stuff. And there's enough portions there that not only can she eat for a month, but she can have variety throughout the week and uh, know that what she's eaten is healthy and she said this was so fun and it was wonderful and I can't wait till the next one and um, so for me, the, the, the opportunity to connect was also just wonderful. The program is scalable too. That's what I'm most excited about is we have, uh, as of that date, we, we knew we had 77 volunteers ready to go with this thing, uh, who are just excited about, you know, seeing this thing scale to have it happen more often. Yeah. Because the kitchen capacity is only 10 at a time, right? 10 or 20, time. you know, yeah. 10 plus 10 at a time. And that's right. You know, I hope, I hope our members are catching the coolness of, again, the, the magic of how an anchor cause really works when it's working right. You know, you're meeting a core need and in the core need of affordable housing, when people have to, in low income places, make a choice between food or rent to be able to offset that need with, a really healthy, inexpensive food option for an extended period of time, 25 bucks for 25 portions, that on top of that, 
provides a playground for relationship where collectively you guys can behave as the kitchen together mm-hmm. and spark those friendships that make a difference. I mean, it's all the features, enjoying the meal that celebrates all that together afterwards. What an awesome picture and a, a cool thing to really watch God grow now over the, the next months and years. Yeah, and we're looking to... Um grow this because uh, we know like we'll need to run an evening program for the working poor that that gives them a chance because they can't make it during the day or maybe other days we have to meet uh, the need and so because it funds itself it's scalable in that capacity too that the $250 is enough for groceries to make this thing work yeah now uh uh, if I'm beyond those 77 who already are on the wait list, Mike, if I'm from the Welland location or I'm from one of our other locations and for whatever reason, the anchor cause at my location doesn't totally track either with my passion or wiring or the circumstances of how my life and work world works. So it's, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, and this is grabbing my heart as I'm listening to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, who can I contact to get on that wait list of sorts right now while we scale this to a greater degree of frequency where I could participate? Who could I contact? So our anchor cause director in Welland is D Newman. And um, you can get access to her through our website or dnewman at southridgechurch.ca. And, um, and, and she will plug you in and find places for you. The other thing, like we need all kinds of volunteers, not just for, uh, let's say, the Harvest Kitchen, but we're also, we also are intentionally doing things like signing people up so that every table that sits around for a Harvest Kitchen meal has at least one or two of our volunteers who are having supper with people and making connections and just talking and checking in and building relationship. Um, so there's all kinds of opportunities for people to get involved. Yeah, terrific. Um, final thing we want to talk about today when it comes to Welland engagement is uh, kind of an exciting announcement that uh, was shared the weekend of Vision Sunday, a little while back, uh, that that you shared, first of all, among your Welland community, and then we celebrated uh, at Vision Night. Talk about that a little bit, Mike. Yeah, so um, we, over the course of 2018, just in sort of uh, looking over the numbers and where were we at the wellness center on average and where are we today? Like we've more than doubled in size. And so uh, that is, to me, that's so exciting, especially in an age where, where church decline is uh, a thing that so chronic. it's all over yeah. the place. Uh, so for us to be at this space where we need to go to two services in order to accommodate and to create space for more people who are coming, we had um, at the last starting point service, we had 25 people who had never been to the church before, never mind many of them had never been to a church before. Uh, so we're, we're not just seeing people who are coming. We've had a few where, that they've come from, say, another church, but many are coming from the neighborhood where they've never been to church or they have been done with church for a long, long time and they're seeing, oh, you know what? My kids could maybe benefit from this and that's a place that's really pouring into kids. And so uh, because of that, our kids' ministry spaces are bursting and our auditorium is feeling incredibly full. Uh, So we did some planning and some work and we're going to go to two services uh, as of March 24th and we're going to do it for an eight-week run. Yeah, there's been, uh, certainly we've been monitoring the the 
the growth kind of trends and noticing, wow, you know, on this Sunday a year ago, there was like 93 adults. And now there's 171 adults. Or like it, it really has been quite stark. Um, but, but in our internal conversations, <laughs> uh, there's been some uncertainty about when to kind of try to make the shift. Do you, do you make a two-service shift in September at kickoff season? Do you make it the 1st of January as kind of a New Year post-Christmas play? And none of those really felt right. And so now, you know, in the earlier part of 2019, you know, we're finding ourselves in Welland in this really congested place, but without the, without the capacity to kind of wait till next September, right, is, is how we've kind of processed this. And so uh, your Welland Location team came up with this idea of what you guys were kind of selling me on, this eight-week challenge yeah. of, you know, trying it for uh, an eight weeks before we... Uh, kind of decline a little bit over the summer. Church attendance gets a little less frequent because people are doing other things. But, you know, for the for the remainder of the spring, for these eight weeks, we're going to give it a go and at least build the musculature among our systems and our people to do this two-service run so that then the following September we can go for it hopefully more more permanently. Is well, that basically the, the thinking behind it? Exactly. Who doesn't love an eight-week challenge? I mean, come <laughs> on. No, for us, we looked at this and thought, uh, in terms of specifically kids' ministry spaces, it, we can have 40 or 50 kids in the M&S portable. That's bursting. And and when I came on staff two and a half years ago, our Riot group, which is grade six, seven, eight, we'd have four kids in Riot, and now we have 23. Like, it's it's really quite something. And so in order to make accommodations so that our, our volunteers who are leading in those areas actually can do what we're hoping they can do in terms of having an impact on kids' lives and making a difference in their, uh, the way they live and breathe and think. And, and, uh, when they're just managing <laughs> chaos, they're not <laughs> actually getting across the hope of, uh, being the leaders we need them to be. And so, uh, Jill came forward and said, let's do it sooner than later. Let's give it a shot so that we can alleviate some of that. We can uh, show our leaders, even though it sounds funny, right? We're going to two services, but this is in order to allow them to have the space to hopefully serve at one and attend church at another so that they're still getting uh, the church experience that they're currently missing out on. And when they are serving, it's, it's much more manageable in terms of you know, size so that it's a blessing for everyone all involved and that new people have space where they can walk in a building and not go, I don't know if there's room for me here. Yeah, yeah. And and so all of those kinds of reasons made us think, let's do it. Let's give it eight weeks. Let's work out all of the kinks and get those things figured out now so that in September, when we launch this for the coming ministry year, we're feeling like we we know what we're doing. We've figured out all the little problems and we're going to move forward as a two-service model church. Yeah, yeah, and I hope our members are catching – you're saying a whole bunch of things rolled up in those 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 comments, Mike. Um, you know, a shift to two services is alleviating a congestion issue for, for sure. But it's also doing a couple other things that make us ideally a multi-service church. Uh, this, is, this is our option A because – it, it provides a greater 
ratio of attention in our kids' ministry. It provides the opportunity for more consistent leadership investment in our kids' ministry because someone can serve more regularly rather than feel like they need to alternate between attending and serving. And at the same time, it allows any person who serves in the kids' ministry to also be able to attend every week. And that really is our hope, uh, not just in Welland, but across all of our locations, to not just parachute in, you know, serve in the nursery or whenever, where, wherever you serve in kids' ministry, and then take off and still miss the service, or show up, gather, you know, do your worship, you know, hear the teaching and things, and then leave. It gives us a chance to both contribute to the life of our weekend gathering and experience the life as adults of our weekend gathering by attending and serving together. And so I know that you're, you're waving that flag, um, particularly, Mike, if, if I'm from Welland and I'm hearing this podcast in early March, uh, a couple of weeks before this eight-week challenge begins, um, what, are, what are some ways that I could plug in and be part of this to a greater degree? Well, making connection with our staff team in an area where you feel like God is calling you to serve would be such a blessing for us to know uh, who's out there and is feeling like, you know what, I could contribute in this area, whether it's first impressions or, uh, you know, connecting with the bands or yeah, kids ministry. It's not ministry. just kids ministry, it's right? Not. Parking lot, you, serving coffee, exactly. you know, music, whatever. There, there, we need people all over the place to make this work. And so if you're feeling like, hey, maybe I could do something, uh, let us know. If you're not feeling that, start thinking that way because we really want you to come forward and help us out. And so uh, we're looking at things like we're planning uh, a Sunday where after church uh, there will be a lunch and then Jade Bowie is going to be there to run PTP training, uh, plan to protect training so that we can get people set up to do kids ministry. Um, so we're going to yeah, try to really make this convenient, accessible, just make it as easy way. as possible yeah. for yeah. people to get involved so that uh, those little barriers become non-issues and we can actually have more people plugged in in places that we're going to need people. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Mike, as we wrap up, any final kind of thoughts, encouragements, challenges to our members really across all of our locations? Yeah, I just, I would encourage people to really uh, take advantage of what Southridge is offering in a multitude of ways. Uh, this is a church that I have not grown up in, but am so loving. Uh, and it's because it's an intentional church that's giving us incredible chances for inspiration through our, through our church services and all that's planned in that regard. There's awesome ways to get connected with people. So take that risk and reach out to, to your connection people, your location pastors to find a way to get involved with life groups or whatever it may be. Uh, and action ministry, get, get your hands involved in what's happening here because in all three locations, incredible ministry is happening where we're making significant difference in the Niagara region and people are blessed by it and you will be blessed by it. So get involved. Awesome. We, we, we want everyone to not miss out on what we feel is the adventure of a lifetime that God has given us right here, right now, in and across Niagara. Absolutely. Awesome. Mike, thanks for joining us. And thanks, frankly, to you and Marcella uh, for having the faith and courage and even kindredness of spirit to relocate your family, to be part of this and be part of what God's doing, to bring the best of this era of your 
one and only life to serve us in this way, uh, particularly in Welland. Uh, know that for those of us not from Welland, we're cheering you guys on, mm. especially during this eight-week challenge and in the blossoming phases of this anchor cause of of Collective Kitchen and Harvest Kitchen and just celebrating with you guys uh, all of what God's doing. Uh, I hope everyone across our locations is feeling that today. And I want to say thanks to all of you for joining us again. Uh, we'll see you next week as we continue finding our way. Take care, everyone.